And I got to tell you, as most of you know, if you know me, after knowing Jesus and knowing Anna, kids are the biggest blessing that God has ever poured upon my life. Psalm 127 says, Children are a gift from the Lord. They're a reward for him. Children born to a young man are like sharp arrows in a warrior's hands. Happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. Got a quiver full? I get a lot of joy out of being a dad. Now I get even more joy out of being a grandpa because I can do the, be the good guy and not have to be the dad. I can spoil them, sugar them up, send them home. As you know, my dad passed away a few years ago. Still miss him, wish I could talk to him. And wish I could talk to him about the Lord more. So whatever, so what better time to talk to, to dads, no matter what age, than Father's Day, right? As the video said, the men who have been dads to other children, not their own. That's all of us. Any guy can be a dad to either their own kids or somebody else's kids. Now, have you noticed the difference between a Mother's Day sermon and a Father's Day sermon? A Mother's Day sermon is, love your mom. She is awesome. Just pour your love upon her. She is the best thing. Father's Day, dads, step it up. Be better. Do what you need to do. Well, I hope I'm not going to be that way today. So here goes. How many have seen the old TV show, Eight Simple Rules? an old show it's been on it's been off the air for a while who knows the original title yes eight simple rules for dating my daughter now I actually never watched the show I knew that John Ritter was in the show and I like John Ritter and I know that he was the dad in the show and he was watching out for two teenage daughters and a, and a son um, but I was homesick I don't know how it happened I was home one day and this show was on it was a rerun and I've only ever watched one episode, and the one I'm going to show you a clip of later is this episode. So having four daughters, I like the original title. And I looked up the rules, because there are actually rules to that, to that show. And I'll read those eight simple rules for dating my daughter. Use your hands on my daughter, and I will use my hands on you. If you make her cry, I'll make you cry. Safe sex is a myth. Anything you try will be hazardous to your health. Bring her home late. There is no next date. If you pull into my driveway and honk, you, <laughs> you better be dropping off a package. <laughs> because you're sure, sure not picking anything else up. Only delivery men honk. And dates ring the doorbell one time. No complaining while you're waiting for her. If you're bored, change my oil. If your pants hang off your hips, I will gladly secure them with my staple gun. <laughs> Dates must be in a crowded public place. You want romance? Read a book. That's eight simple rules for dating my daughter. So, thinking about Father's Day, 
I was thinking that God may have eight simple rules for being a dad. Now, I think God has more than eight simple rules, but we're going to look at the eight since that's the, the title and the hook for the sermon. So there are eight simple rules for being a dad. The first rule is humor. A good dad strives to bring humor into any family. There was a study in the Journal of Education and Human Development, and an article reads like this. A little bit long, but I'm going to read it. When humans laugh, they experience pleasure that usually culminates in a predictable physical response coupled with a sense of openness to discussion or interaction. Translation, when they're laughing, you can talk to them. Humor in this way can, re can facilitate learning. Children whose interest is captured in such a way are primed for effective learning. From an academic standpoint, research findings are clear that there is a significant positive relationship between age-appropriate and situation-appropriate humor and academic success. So the more you laugh, the better they are able to learn. Research also suggests that laughter has a positive effect on a person's physical and mental health. According to noted medical doctor and humor researcher, Dr. Samuel Kahn, laughter contributes positively and measurably to appetite and digestion, sleep patterns, heart problems, blood flow, and several brain disorders. So, in other words, you don't laugh and it's always solemn, they're not going to sleep right, and their bodies won't function right. Funny thing is, God knew this before we stumbled onto it. Proverbs 17, 22, a happy heart is good medicine, and a cheerful mind works healing, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. Proverbs 15, 13, a good heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is broken. Now, we were talking about this in our class today. Who is usually the serious parent? Moms. Who are the ones who get in trouble with their kids? Dads. Because we're the ones sewing them in the air, climbing them, helping them climb a tree, help us build fires, go out with us and shoot guns, jump down a flight of stairs. We're the ones that the mom says, don't, don't do that. And we're the ones that say, eh, they'll be fine. He'll walk it off. He'll be fine. We're the ones, generally, that try to get them to take risks. And involving them taking risks usually involves humor. Come on, it'll be fun. You'll laugh, let's go. Here, ride this bike. Ride this dirt bike. Here, climb this tree with me. We're going to jump off. It'll be a blast. Do we inject humor into our kids? If we act as if we're always solemn and stoic, we won't be a friend to them. We won't be a parent to them. We need to, humor lets us be able to talk to them. Perfect example, when I was reading the eight rules, y'all were listening more intently because you were laughing as I was reading them. What is the most thing that catch your attention in sermons? It's personal stories of the guy speaking. Because usually it involves humor or something along those lines. And you listen more intently to a personal story 
because you're expecting to laugh or relate to that. When kids see you laugh and you laugh with them, they become closer to you and they can identify with you. If you're just the opposite, the Bible tells us both times a broken spirit dries up the bones. A heart of sorrow breaks the spirit. We need to have humor as a parent. The second thing we need to have is humility. Matthew 18, 4, Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. James 4, 10, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. 1 Peter 5, 6, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Now, I know this is going to come a shock, especially to the wives, that dads don't know everything. The guys are going, what? And sometimes we might be wrong. Uh, See? Yeah. And it's with a humble spirit that dads can say that they're wrong to their wife and to their kids. A dad who always asserts himself as right no matter what and never makes a mistake will alienate his kids because they know better. Whenever you admit your mistakes and humble yourself to your family, that makes, oh, let me correct that. When you never admit your mistakes and you never humble yourself, that makes every other piece of advice and correction that you do not matter because they're not going to listen to it. Because if they think that you think you're always right, that everything and anything you say to them is not going to take, take effect. But if you humble yourselves and you do admit when you're wrong and you say that you're sorry, then they're more apt to receive the things that you do have for them because you come in an attitude of humility. Are we humble with our kids? And as they get older, the funny thing is they begin to learn more than you do. How many of you kids that are older that you go to for advice? Right? Not when they're seven or eight, but when they're 25 or 27. Number three is heavenly-minded. Do we as fathers have our first priority as being the priest of the home? Do you continue to pray for your family? Do you guard against evil in your homes? Are you the first line of defense? Now, in the Old Testament, the priests were the ones who interceded for the people of Israel. If you read the Old Testament, especially the law books, the first five books, the priests were the ones that were, would always pray for the people. They would bring their sacrifices and the priests would pray for the people offering their sacrifices. And they were mandated to do those and they were mandated to pray for the people, to intercede for the people. Well, now in the New Testament, the Bible says we are all priests, right? And we are to intercede. 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So dads, we're the priests. We gave James the red flower. I should have mentioned this when he was up here. The red flower symbolized the blood of Christ, the priest of the home. We're the priests of the home, dads. We're the ones responsible for whatever happens. We talked about this a few weeks ago, how guys are the ones who ultimately will answer for things in the family. 1 Samuel 12, 22 says, 
For the sake of the great name of the Lord, he will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As far and as far as for me, far be it from, from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. Be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider the great things you have, he has done for you. You're first and foremost to be a priest of your home, to guard your home spiritually as well as physically, and your minds should be heavenward. Everything you do in your family should be focused on what God is doing in the world and in your family. Colossians 3.2 says, Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. I'm going to read you some statistics. I hope this doesn't bore you, but it's, it's very interesting and very telling. Touchstone Magazine published an article and was called The Truth About Men and Church. In short, the study reveals, quote, it's the religious practice of the father of the family that above all determines the future attendance or absence from church of the children. In short, I'm going to do some bullet points. Bullet point one, if both father and mother attend regularly, 33% of the children will end up as regular churchgoers, and 41% will end up attending sporadically. Only one-fourth of the kids will end up not practicing at all. Point number two, if the father is sporadic and the mother a regular attender, only 3% of the children will, will become subsequent regular attenders. 3%. While the further 59% will become sporadic, 38% will be lost. If the father does not go at all and the mother attends regularly, only 2% of the children will become regular worshipers, and 37% will attend sporadically. Over 60% of their children will be lost completely to the church. That's if the mother is always there and the father is not. Now what happens if the father is regular, but the mother is either sporadic or doesn't attend? Amazingly, the percentage of children becoming regular, becoming regular attenders goes up from 33 to 38% with the sporadic mother and up to 44% with the non-practicing mother. This suggests that loyalty to the father's commitment grows in response to the mother's laxity or indifference to religion. In short, if a father does not go to church, no matter how faithful his wife's devotions, only one child in 50 will become a regular attender. If a father goes to church regularly, regardless of the practice of the mother, between two-thirds and three-quarters of their children will become churchgoers. Wow. One of the reasons suggested for this distinction is that children tend to take their cues about domestic life from mom while their conceptions of the world outside come from their dad. If dad takes faith in God seriously, then the message to the children is that God should also be taken seriously. Are you heavenly minded? Because what you do is going to matter to your kids. Rule number four, honor. Do we have honor and do we show honor? How do you maintain your honor? Honor and your name is what is most valuable to you. 
Do you live as a dad a life of honor? Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is more desirable than good riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Do your kids think you're honorable? Do you always do the right thing? Because let me tell you, your kids are going to notice when you don't. You may think they don't know, but they're going to find out. I used to tell my kids all the time, I'm going to find out whatever you do. People are going to tell me, I'm going to know. We were in a large church, so there was a lot of people around, and I would get a call from people saying, hey, I saw your daughter in the mall the other day. How was she acting? And so I would tell her, hey, you know, Becky called. She saw you in the mall yesterday. They knew that I was going to find out. In the same way, your kids are going to find out as well. Because Dobson says more is caught than taught. They will see how you act more than what you say. Do you have honor? Do your kids think you're honorable? Not that you're perfect, but are you honorable? And it kind of ties back to humility. Do you acknowledge your sins? Do you acknowledge your mistakes to them? Ask for forgiveness when necessary. Do they think that you're honorable? Because part of honor is owning up to your failures. Do we honor other people? Romans 12.10 says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Do you give honor to your kids? Do you honor them? Do they deserve to be honored? I would say, yeah, they deserve to be honored. Because honor will raise their self-esteem and gives them the feeling that they can accomplish anything. The old saying that sticks and stones will break your bones, words will never hurt you. Lie. Because what you say will have much more effect and last longer than what you do. I used to get whoopings all the time. Probably deserved them. Don't remember them. But I would remember if my dad would say something that was mean to me. That sticks with you. Giving them honor doesn't mean you don't correct them. But it means you honor them while you do it. You tell them why you're doing it. You show them that you love them the other 99% of the time. So when they know you're correcting them, they know you're doing it out of love. Now, my family was never really, you know, we're not huggy-feely, our crew. But every time we would get a whooping, my dad would come in like an hour later and say, you know, I love you. I don't, I don't like beating you or spanking you, but I love you. And so that would kind of smooth everything over. But we knew it even though he wasn't demonstrative about it. When you honor your kids and you honor other people, they see Jesus in that. Do you act like Jesus around them? Rule number five is hopeful. Are you a guy of hope? Or are you one of those ones walking around in despair all the time? Because our attitudes will be reflected and eventually be part of our kids and maybe even our wife. If you're always upbeat and you're hopeful and you're trusting God, that God's in control and life is not hopeless, it's not helpless, but God's in control of it, that's going to bleed into your kids and your wife. However, if you always have a doomsday approach and everything is bad, everything's terrible, we're never going to survive, we're all going to die, <clears throat> what do you think your kids are going to be like when they get older? <coughs> Hope is a fuel by which we live 
survive and thrive in this world. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're upbeat, regardless of the situation, if you're trusting God to get you through it, and your kids see that, and you're living that type of life always, regardless of how things are going, you trust God no matter what. That's how your kids are going to grow up. Because they're going to see that and they're going to see it modeled in you. Number six, hunger. And I'm not talking about food. How many remember the Rocky movies? Good movies, right? The third one, I think, when he fought Mr. T, how many remember that one? Now, if you remember the, the premise of the movie, he had already won the belt. You know, he'd always, he's always been champy beat. You know, Apollo Creed, the second movie. Now he's going to fight Mr. T. And in the process of training, he's kind of like, you know, going through the motions. And he, got, he gets beat the first time. And he's training for the second one. And his coach sees what he's doing. And he yells at him. What's he say? Who knows the quote? You ain't been hungry since you won that belt. What's he mean? It means that Rocky lost his desire to win. He wasn't hungry for it anymore. He didn't care. He no longer has the drive to win. He's become complacent. Yeah, whatever happens, whatever happens, I don't care. And sometimes as Christians, if we're not careful, we can become complacent in our walk with God. Do we really hunger after God? Or are we like, eh, you know... Yeah, I got saved 20 years ago. I'm good. I don't, you know. Are we hungry for the things of God? Or are we just going through the motions? When we worship God, when we raise our hands, we raise them because that's what we've always done. Or because someone else is doing it. Or do we raise them because we are surrendering ourselves to God? Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. As dads and as just as men in general, we have to always be hungry for the things of God. If we're not hungry, we will get beat like Rocky got beat by Mr. T. We have to always be hungry, always have to be thirsting after doing the right thing because our natural tendency is to get lazy and not do it. Number seven is helpful. Do you spend your time being a help to your family or your friends? Do you show the love of Christ to your families as much as you show it to other people? Do you treat others better than you treat your family? You're always there to help somebody else out, but you're never there to help your kids out. Do you aggravate your kids? Well, it's going to be easier than you think. In fact, God knew that was going to happen, too, because he said it directly. Colossians 3.21, fathers, don't aggravate your kids. If you do, they'll be just come discouraged and quit trying. What, what does it mean to aggravate? That they never do anything right. Never do anything right. It's never up to perfection. You could have done it better. It could have been better this way. If you miss the 99 things they do right and you, kept, you focus on the one thing they focused on wrong, they did wrong, you're aggravating your kids. 
well, Dad, I did all this right, and the only thing you're looking at was this one time? Luke 11.10 says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Are you always ready to lend a hand to your kids, even when it's inconvenient and time-consuming? Are you helpful to them, or you're a critic? Always criticizing what they do. Never living up to what you think they should be living up to. Always focusing on the mistake. Instead of praising the good things they do. Because you're going to aggravate them. Why try? If, if my dad only focuses on the negative thing, why do I even try to do it right? And lastly, number eight, remember that you are human. And that kind of ties in with humility. But it's more directed at ourselves. Humility tells us to be humble to our family and ask for forgiveness. This is asking yourself for forgiveness. Luke eleven thirteen, If you then, though you are evil, and which by the way, we're all evil, we're all sinners, saved by grace, and you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now we're all basically human. We're fallen people. We blow it, we make mistakes, and if you haven't done it yet, you're going to fail. What you can't do is you can't stay there. You can't stay in your defeat. You get up, you ask God's forgiveness, ask your family's forgiveness, and then you move on. You can't stay in whatever you did wrong because you can't go back. You may want to go back, but you can't. What's the best thing to do? Acknowledge it. Hey, it was wrong. Shouldn't have done it. I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to stay there. I'm not going to dwell on the fact and wallow in my pity. I'm going to move on. Yeah, I made a mistake. But you know what? God forgave that. I'm going to forgive myself for doing it, and I'm going to go on. Philippians 3.13 says, Paul says, One thing I do, forgetting what's behind. If it's in the past, it's in the past. Can't change it. So I forget about it. You learn from it, but you forget about it. Forgetting what's behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenly, heavenward in Christ Jesus. If you live in the past, you're never going to prepare for the future. You're never going to let the future dictate itself. You're always going to be living in the negative that you did in the past. God says you're, go- you're going to fail. You're going to blow it. It's just a given. Acknowledge it. Repent of it. And move on. If you don't, you're going to miss out on everything that's coming in the future. Well, that's eight simple rules. Probably more than I haven't touched on. But I'm going to show a clip from that show I mentioned earlier. Now, I'm going to set the clip up because it's, it's relatively short. It's a couple minutes long. Most of you know that John Ritter, the actor, died during the filming of the show. And so in the show, they addressed, they had him die in the show. And they, they dealt with that in the show. And this clip is going to be how the family dealt with the loss of their dad in the show. And the show actually was called 
goodbye. And I really think, and I've seen art, uh, interviews with the cast members saying that this was real. They were doing this in memory of John, the actor, more than the character he played. They were saying goodbye to him because he's a nice, nice guy in the show. And so I'm going to show this clip and uh, watch it and listen to what they're saying in the clip. If you would play that. So I've got something, you guys. What is that? It's Dad's last article. Grandpa found it. Oh my God, Mom, read it. Yeah. Okay. I, well, I'm going to. It doesn't have a title or anything, so so I'll just start. Okay, readers. Today we're having a little pop quiz. It's multiple choice. So sharpen your number two pencils and put on your thinking caps. Ready? Here's a quote. Dad, you're an idiot. Now, contestants, this was said to me because of which of the following transgressions? A, coming to the breakfast table wearing pajamas and black socks. B, asking my oldest daughter if that guy I saw her talking to at school yesterday was her boyfriend. C, referring to rapper 50 Cent as 50 Cents. Or D, entering the room. Okay, pencils down. Actually, it was a trick question. The answer is all of the above. Now, do you know how many times I called my father an idiot? Zero. Why? Because I feared him. Back then, we didn't share our deep personal feelings. Our deepest conversations usually revolved around the tiger's bullpen. But my kids, I can't get them to shut up. There's not a feeling that my kids are afraid to express over and over and over. And my wife reassures me this is a good thing. Over and over and over. And she's always right. So do I wish that my kids feared me? Well, my house would be quieter and I'd spend a lot less time in the bathroom. But no. Because I know that whenever they insult me, whether it's a you're an idiot, what a geek, or an I hate you, and I love you isn't far behind. And it's the knowledge that my wife and kids love me that makes it safe for me to wear pajamas and black socks to the breakfast table. <laughs> oh my God. Dad, thank you. That's <laughs> all he wrote. That was enough. Yeah. You know, I wish we insulted him more. <laughs> okay, guys. It's bedtime.
Let me add one more rule. Honesty. Are you completely honest with your kids? And you allow them to be honest with you? Do they feel safe in your homes? Do they always walk on eggshells afraid of hurting dad and making dad mad? Because dads are the ones that set that tone. When your kids feel safe at home, safe to tell us anything, safe to grow up, safe to fail, then we can be assured that even though we're not perfect and we fail a lot, that we've done our best to show them Jesus in our life. Would you stand as we close this morning? Bow your heads for a moment. God designed the family. Man didn't think of it. God designed it. And he knew what was best for the family. And he knew that dads play a vital role in raising the next generation. Maybe you're a dad, young kids at home, you're just starting out. Trust God. There will be ups and downs. Trust God for whatever is going on. Seek God's wisdom, God's will. And when you get to be older, you'll look back and you'll see how God has directed you. Maybe you've got teenagers at home. And as we heard in the video, they, they may not like you at times. But you keep doing what's right, loving them, caring for them. There will come a day where they look back and say thanks. Or maybe your kids are already gone out of the house and you're a grandparent now. You still have an influence on your kids. They're now, they are now your peers. They are not children to be instructed. So now we become their friends. And the friendship you have with your kids as older adults depends on how you treated them when they were younger kids. If you don't have that relationship, the Bible says that God is the God of restoration and reconciliation. Ask God to restore that for you. God can do it. Don't know how he's going to do it, but I know he will do it. And lastly, maybe you're here this morning and you, you don't know Jesus or you know about Jesus. And you know about God, you've heard the name a lot, but you've never really come into a relationship with Jesus. There's a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. I may know a lot about a celebrity, but I don't know them. You may know a lot about Jesus, but you don't know him. The Bible says we're all sinners, and I think everyone knows that. But the Bible also says that the, wages of the, the punishment for that sins is separation from God. 
Not only now, but forever. The Bible also says that Jesus came to pay the debt for that. Whatever the, whatever the payment is required for sin, Jesus paid. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. We deserve any punishment we get for the sins that we commit against the Heavenly Father. But God knew that. And more than anything, he wanted to restore that relationship with you and with me. So he said, even though I love my son, I'm going to allow him to go down. I'm going to punish him in your place. The Bible says, he laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. And the Bible says, as many as receive him, those alone he gave the authority to be called children of God. You can't be a child of God unless you know Jesus. God doesn't hear the prayers of those who don't know Jesus. The only prayer that God hears is the prayer asking Jesus to forgive them. And then from then on, God hears every prayer. But as we mentioned in class this morning, it's a choice that God is willing to let you make on your own. He will show you as much as he can how much he loves you and cares for you. He will allow things in your life to, to prove that point to you. But ultimately, he wants you to make your choice on your own. So if you're here and you feel that tug on your heart, the Bible says no one comes to God unless the Father draws them. That simply means if you're thinking about God, God is making you think about him. Making you think because he wants you to make a choice. Do you choose to ask Jesus for forgiveness or do you choose to ignore the call? If you're here and you've never answered that question in your life, you've never really committed your life to Christ and you think that you're good enough to make it, well, the Bible says you ain't. Because the Bible says God's already provided everything you need for a relationship with God in Jesus. So if that's you and you really feel that and you know you want to make that choice, I want you to raise your hand right now because I'm going to pray with you and let you start this new life knowing Jesus personally. Lord, I thank you for those that are here today. I'm going to assume that everyone here knows Jesus personally, has asked for forgiveness. And I pray for each person, not only dads, but every man that's here, every person that's here. All those rules that apply to men can also apply to everybody. I pray that we would take them to heart. Let God's word speak to us. Let the Holy Spirit continue to change who we are. And allow us just to become more and more like Jesus. The more we're like Jesus, the more that those are, that are around us, whether they're our kids or our grandkids or our friends and neighbors, the more that we're like Jesus, the more that they'll become like Jesus. So I pray that you would allow us to have that influence on their lives, 
Let the Holy Spirit quicken us in those moments to share the love of Christ with someone. Allow what we do to matter in the kingdom of God. So Lord, I pray your blessings upon us as we leave this morning. Let every Father's Day celebration be a great one. Let us honor you as our Heavenly Father with just everything we have. And so Lord, I commit each person to you. I commit this day to you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Happy Father's Day.